Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, let's round out the show as per usual with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you guys? Good, very man. good, very good. Uh, now, the FIFA Under-20 World Cup is underway in Argentina. It should have been Indonesia, of course. And uh, mm. a bit of a mixed bag of results for the Asian nations. Not so good for Iraq, Iraq and Uzbekistan, uh, but a win for Japan over Senegal and a big win for South Korea over France. Yeah, huge win, uh, that one this morning, I think it was. Uh, 2-1 victory over France. I was reading the first time uh, South Korea has beaten European opposition at this level in 20 years. So quite a wow. significant victory for the for the Koreans. Always big anytime an Asian nation beats a European nation as well. So that really sets them up now to to get out of this group, to, to get that win over France. Japan beat Senegal, as you said. I think Uzbekistan, even though they lost, I think, a 2-1 defeat at the hands of Argentina, the host nation. We obviously know the strength of Argentina in football in comparison to Uzbekistan. I didn't get to see the game, um, but from all reports, they actually gave a really good account of themselves in that game. They opened the scoring, so they led for a little bit in that game. So despite the fact they lost, I still think that's an impressive showing um, from from Uzbekistan. Iraq, 4-0 loss to, um, to Uruguay. Um, was that the most disappointing of the results? But I think yeah, three out of the four results so far have been impressive from uh, from Asia. So a good start to the tournament. And there was some consolation for Indonesia on missing out on that tournament. They won the SCA Games gold medal, beating uh, beating Thailand five two in a in a crazy final actually. And uh, the senior team, we've just heard that they'll face the world champions Argentina in a friendly four days after we play them in uh, in Beijing. And Simon, before you hammer me on the pronunciation of this, uh, <laughs> no, this stadium, what what uh, what is it? The Galora Bung Galora Bung Kano. There we go. That, I'm imagining that'll be full. I I only know that because I've been there. That was where the Asian <laughs> Cup final was in 2007 between Iraq if, and if, Saudi Arabia. It's massive, go. isn't it, Paolo? It's huge. If you want to save yourself, just call it the GBK. That, yeah. That's what it's affectionately known as around the region, the GBK. Well, I was looking Can't get at it into today. any trouble with pronunciation. The capacity then, so. says 88,000, yeah. but the record is 150,000. Yeah. What well. happened? They just <laughs> they just, I think they put it, probably yeah. just piled over the, okay, uh, over the fences. Go enough. on, Paolo. Sorry, mate. <laughs> No, that's fine. Um, yeah, the Sea Games, it's it's a hugely important tournament in in Southeast Asia, like the Suzuki Cup is for football. Obviously, the Sea Games is like the Olympics for, for Southeast Asia. And um, it's huge in this part of the world. The final, as you said, they won 5-2. It was a, a crazy game with some farcical and embarrassing <laughs> scenes. Um, it was deep into injury time. Indonesia were leading 2-1. Referee blew his whistle. Indonesia thought that was the game won. They spilled out onto the pitch, jumping in front of the Thailand bench, celebrating. It was actually just a free kick for Thailand. When play restarted, Thailand actually scored from that free kick to send it to extra time remarkably. And then Indonesia scored three times in extra time to win 5-2 and then repaid the favour by uh, celebrating again 
in front of the tie bench and uh, which caused a melee and wild scenes and the coaches were brawling with each other and it was it was pretty farcical and embarrassing scenes um but huge for Indonesia and you saw when the team went back to Indonesia they had a street parade through the streets of Jakarta um, and the people sp spilled out onto the streets um we know the enormous popularity of football in Indonesia. If they can just sort out the off-field issues, which is an enormous challenge in a country like Indonesia, but if they can sort them out, then they're sitting on a gold mine there. Yep. Uh, well, we could say the same about Australia, couldn't we? <laughs> People in glass houses. Um, now, last week, uh, Paolo, you wrote a piece for the Optus website on 30 years of the J-League, uh, which, of course, is a competition we have a lot of respect for in this part of the world. Broski played in it. Uh, how have they managed to be so successful? And, and is there anything we can learn from it? That's, that's your starter for 10. You've got about a minute to discuss all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be as succinct as I can, which is always difficult. I think that the biggest thing that we can learn is, one, they had a plan. They had the 100-year plan they set out for when they started the J-League mm. for 100 professional clubs in 100 years and to win the World Cup by 2092. They had a plan and they stuck to it. And most importantly, when they hit troubled waters, which they did in the late 90s, they had a number of teams on the verge of going bankrupt and going out of business. They had the merger between the two Yokohama clubs, which caused a lot of discontent rather than just trying to consolidate and retreat and, and sort of settle for what they had, they chose that opportunity as the, the time to continue on with the expansion. It's around that time that they launched the J2, the second tier competition. And they very, very quickly went from, you know, 10 teams in 1993 to 28 teams by early 2000s. And I think that's the, the biggest thing is that when troubled waters hit, they didn't panic and they continued on with the plan that they had in place and, and building on that, uh, that that's created, I guess, the foundation then to build on. J3 came on 10 years later and they've gone from strength to strength. So that is what Australia can can learn from the J-League is to have a plan and to stick to it regardless of what happens on or off the pitch. Very good. Uh, and on the pitch, uh, Yokohama Marinos recorded another comfortable win to keep up the pressure on leaders, uh, Vissel Kobe. And uh, news that Kevin Musket is uh, about to um, come up against Pep Guardiola in a in a preseason match. That'll be incredible. It will be as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be really exciting. We know what that match did for Ange Postacoglu when they played um, uh, when they played Man City a couple of years ago, and what that did for Ange's reputation within the City Football Group. Big win for for Yokohama away to Gamba Osaka as well, who remarkably are still just have one win this season. They're rock bottom of the J-League at the moment. So Danny Poyatos is, uh, is surely in a little bit of trouble there. Vissel Kobe slipped up against Kashua, who are low down on the table as well. So Yokohama just, just keeping the pressure on. I think they've also got a match, a friendly match, a in, against Celtic um, around uh, that uh, that sort of June July period as well, so we could see Kevin Musket come up against Ange Postecoglou as well. Interesting to see when Muskie makes that move to Europe because he's been there mm. once before with St Troiden, but uh, you, you fancy that uh, at the end of this season he'd probably be ready to give it another crack. Um, to Saudi Arabia, Paolo, uh, Aliti had have they opened the door just a little bit for Cristiano Ronaldo's Al Nasser? They let. Uh, a two-goal lead slip uh, this time last Tuesday to Al-Halal just to narrow the gap a little bit at the top. They have. They've just kept the door ajar slightly for, for Al-Nasser. Had they won that game, it would have the title wouldn't have been over, but it would have been pretty much done and dusted. But they now lead by three points with three games remaining. So they're still in the box seat, but, yeah, they were...
2-0 up and looked like they were cruising away to Al-Halal. But yeah, 96th minute equaliser from from Al-Halal shared the, the spoils there. And it's just given Al Nasser a little bit of hope, but I, I still can't see it. I can't see them being able to win every game because they're so inconsistent this season. Mm. And I just can't see al had slipping up again as they did. Okay, uh, final question. A fascinating tale developing as reported by your Asian game colleague, Martin Lowe, on the possibility uh, that Palestine and Israel might play together at the same tournaments. Now, this is the FIFA Esports World Cup, uh, so not actually on the pitch, but with the joysticks. Uh, the event to be held in Saudi Arabia. What can you tell us about this and, and how big a breakthrough might this be? It's a geopolitical quagmire, this one, isn't it? Just, <laughs> I mean, Israel and Palestine being part of the same tournament itself would be fascinating. The fact it's then going to take place in Saudi Arabia adds another layer of fascination onto it. Yeah, it it was. It's come out in the last um, couple of days. I was watching a, a news report from a good friend of mine as well, Uri Levy, who was reporting on this too. That. The, the tournament, Israel qualified for it. It was announced as going to be um, hosted by Saudi Arabia. So that opened up another spot for an Asian nation, which Palestine um, qualified for. So it does open up the possibility that, as you said, there could be a delegation of Israelis that go to Saudi Arabia for this tournament, even though it's an esports tournament. The, the players themselves, if you want to call it that, still have to travel to Saudi Arabia for the tournament. There'd be officials around that as well that then travel to Saudi Arabia. There's the possibility, I guess, that they could then play Palestine as well. So that's due to pl- take place in June, I think it is. June or July, correct me if I'm wrong. So mm. um, that's very much one to uh, to watch this space and see how that um, develops over the uh, the next couple of weeks. Just a question without warning, Paolo. Have they ever played each other in football or even any any other sports competitively? I, I wouldn't oh. know the answer, and I'm not saying that you should do, but I just thought I'd ask it. I'm, I'm sure they I'm sure they would have at some point in history had matches against each other, whether that's in football or some other sport, there yeah. would have been um, um, some competition. I'm absolutely sure of it. Off the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure about football. I'd have to go back and, and have a look. But if it was, it would have been certainly a very, very – long time ago um but certainly i know recently certainly no matches in in recent history that um that have taken place that it wouldn't be allowed effectively yeah. because um i don't wow. think palestine would would entertain the idea of um sharing this the, the pitch with israel the mother of all derbies you could call it i guess hey uh paolo we gotta let you go thanks so much mates uh, look forward to speaking to you on our final show next week see you mate cheers guys appreciate it